occasional passers-by and welcome to Podcast 41 in our series You Should Have Been There with me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder. And our special guest today is my dear colleague from the travel desk of The Independent, Helen Coffey, who is a renowned traveller, broadcaster and writer. But for the purposes of today's programme, Helen, you're a quarantini. And that is a word. I like that as a word. That's great. I mean, I particularly like being described as renowned. Um, previous to that, <laughs> well, renowned, renowned Quarantini. Quarant- uh, you indeed are, because you wrote uh, very um, powerfully about the experience that you had, which we will hear um, soon, because uh, we're talking about the self isolation that's required for for returning travellers to the UK from pretty much almost everywhere these days. And you uh, spent two weeks. Within the confines of your London flat, we'll find out if the travelling actually made it worthwhile. Um, Mick, though, I wondered if you could um, bring us up to date with a brief history of quarantine. I can do better than that. I can bring you a quiz about uh, about quarantining and the history of, of being in quarantine. And I must say that for my purposes, um, quarantine means something that you are required uh, and certainly in former days are forced to do rather than something that you uh, choose to do and you're actually properly locked in i.e you're not allowed to um, uh, go out and uh, buy a newspaper so here we go question one when the idea of quarantine was first properly introduced and indeed implemented and we're talking about the 14th century here how long did it last I'm going to take a guess because uh, I think I have heard this in the in the mists of time. Maybe when we were first talking about quarantine as a nation, um, I'm going to say 40 days. And um, uh, that that stems, I think I'm going to go slightly out on a Venetian limb here and say that that was what all ships arriving to the the port of Venice were required to do because um, it was a good way of finding out if uh, it were preventing them bringing in any dread diseases. They were all going to sadly die um, if if they were ill rather than bring in anything that, that could um, damage the Venetian Empire. I would I'd also guess something connected to the number four purely because I, I get I'm making this up. I feel like the word quarantine looks yeah. like caront you know, it sounds like the, the number four in another language. No, you're absolutely right, Helen. In fact, it's the number 40, quaranta, in Italian, because Simon was right about uh, Venice being um, the first uh, recorded um, place to actually stop ships coming in. But the actual, and this is now question two, the actual city, city-state, which introduced a proper building to quarantine people in rather than just uh, sending them away to uh, sit in ships offshore, uh, rather like modern day cruise ships, um, uh, was called <laughs> Ragusa. Now, it's not called Ragusa anymore. Have you any idea what its real name is now? I am guessing we are somewhere in modern day either Croatia or Slovenia. Um, does that does that sound plausible, Helen? Dubrovnik. Top answer. Yeah. <laughs> Dubrovnik. Isn't that so? So that. Uh, but, but sorry, you, you're going to have to tell Helen and I a little bit more about this. Well, it was a separate city-state, and uh, Venice was very much the uh, the sort of ruling power, and so it uh, it was in control of. Uh, 
Grand Uza, but it obviously had control of its own um, it, it, its own destiny in the sense that it, they decided that uh, uh, first of all that they would uh, quarantine people, and I think they just left them to their own devices on one of those rather desolate islands off the coast of Dubrovnik called Millet. Uh, there's another one, can't remember the name of it, but then they. Uh, a little later in the early 15th century, they built a special quarantine hospital just outside the city gate, the Ploche yes. Gate, which I think is the main gate you tend to go into as a tourist if you come from the north. And there's a rather sort of austere and grim looking building just outside there, which is still there. One more question, which brings us closer to home. Uh, and it's still to do with the bubonic plague, but it is associated in in Britain with an extraordinary, an extraordinarily altruistic piece of self quarantining by a Derbyshire village. Um, uh, do you know what it was called? And what um, happened? Well, I'm uh, uh, now, um, Helen. I'm 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 sort of slightly flailing around in the um, in, in the dark um, prison of quarantine here i'm going to guess that the village said we are we are dangerous keep away or something to that effect um in terms of which one it was well there's a hundred villages in derbyshire and um i'm gonna say melbourne only because that's um the name uh, chosen by uh, a large um australian city where they're also having a few quarantine problems and also it's where thomas cook was born what a great reason uh, but it's almost certainly the wrong answer i mean i'm convinced by simon's answer i'm i'm backing him up all the way and not because i have no ideas of my own i just think it sounds very plausible well it's 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 a good um, as he said a stab in the dark um but actually it's not uh, and this is this is a village that that is called well. I think it, is it Eam or Eam E Y A M. I, I'm I'm going to pronounce it I am, but people will write in. I can guarantee that. Have you ever heard of it? It's um, it's well, it's in Derbyshire, and it is famous because uh, when the plague came to it in 1665, unluckily spread from London, the villagers, um, and I think they were rather kind of egged on by the parish priest decided to self-isolate en masse so self-quarantine en masse it is said to stop the bubonic plague uh, spreading to other local communities and quite a large percentage of them somewhere between a third and two-thirds actually died as a result of this Uh, and there's a plaque uh, at the entrance to the village um, explaining all of this so there we go. Um, I wish I wish I knew how it was pronounced, but E Y A M is quite a difficult word, isn't it? Um, oh, well, let's stick with I am until people do write in. Um, Helen, I'd love to find out more about your experience of quarantine, which was triggered because you uh, made a long planned journey um, and rather delayed. Um, interrail trip around Europe, coming back finally, of course, via France, which has been on the no-go list for many, many weeks. So you were expecting to quarantine. Was it as you expected it to be? Um, No, it was, you know what, it was much, much harder than I thought it would be. Um, I'd sort of, I'd put it out of my mind because I wanted to go on this trip and I thought, it's not a big deal. I come back, I'm in for two weeks, whatever. I'm very privileged in that I don't have 
you know, children that need dropping off to places. I have a job I can do completely from home. I have people that can, you know, go out and get my shopping. I live with a partner who could also do that. So, you know, in all ways, I was fully fit and ready for quarantine. Um, and yet I found it so, so, I was going to say isolating, <laughs> you know, losing the name, self-isolating. It is. It's a very lonely experience. Um, I thought it would be similar to lockdown um, when we all did it uh, back in spring. But actually, I hadn't quite put together that that had a sort of camaraderie, everyone in it together feeling. And you were also allowed to go outside, even if it was just once a day. That made a huge difference mental Mm -hmm. health wise, I would say. And actually not having access to that and also knowing other people are sort of just going on with their lives, yeah. making plans that you can't attend. Um, yeah, I found I found myself getting really low. And by the second week, I was really, I just felt down oh, all the time. What, um, how would it have been if you'd done the old medieval 40 days, do you think? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I just can't even imagine how they did that. It did make me think about people shielding, actually, and what... You know, what a, a thing that is to ask of people. You know, um, I know it's because they're vulnerable, it's for their own health and stuff, but I just thought, I can't imagine having had to do this for months on end. I don't know how people have done it, and I can only just applaud them and say, I'm so sorry that you, you had to do that. Did you have any sort of tricks, you know, to try and get you through the uh, the long days? I mean, <laughs> drinking, can I say that? <laughs> Um, yes you can absolutely yeah um, no what I think was important was sort of especially when you're working from home I think for most of us this is big anyway making a kind of marker between the end of the work day and oh it's the evening now it's my free time um so I mean yeah. I would do that through um something like meditating for 20 minutes um that would just help actually right. make a marker of like I'm not just in the same I am in the same space, but mentally, okay, I'm shifting <laughs> yeah. gear. Yeah, right. Um, can, can I ask what the, uh, what the, sorry about this, worst time was and what the best time was? So um, was, uh, for example, day eight terrible because you realised you'd only just crossed the halfway mark or indeed an uplifting thing because you thought, well, I'm used to this now. <laughs> How did it go? Um, I think day, for me, probably day 10 was the real low point. Um, it was almost over, but it wasn't over. And I just, I think it was like a Sunday and I just, the weekend felt no different to the week. I just um, had enough of it. But why am I doing this? No one even, no one's even checking. That's the thing. There's no one um, actually ringing you up or emailing you to make sure you're doing it. So you just end up feeling like you're sort of self-flagellating by doing it in the first place. Um, and probably the only high point was was day fourteen, <laughs> thinking it's over tomorrow. Right, but you 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 were there. Did you at one minute past midnight on? Well, what's effectively day fifteen? Because that's the way that the cruel arithmetic uh, works. Uh, were you, were you poised by the door to go out into the street and and say I'm free? No, I should have done that. But I think I was a little bit institutionalized. It took me all day to work up the sort of courage to be like, okay, I can leave, I can leave. It's all right. <laughs> um, how, how did it change you? 
Um, I think it made me less blasé about, oh, it's not a big deal asking people to quarantine. I think before then I would have said, well, it's the price you pay for going away. Is it actually that bad? You know, people just need to suck it up and get on with it. Um, and I'd had this idea that I probably would carry on travelling to places not on the, the travel corridors list. And I'd just go have these amazing trips, come back, quarantine for two weeks, go again. I'd sort of had that in my mind. And then after that, I thought, no, I don't I don't want to do that again. I'm not going to do it unless it's for a really good reason um, and something really special because actually the payoff um, or the, the penalty is just a lot more extreme than I thought it would be. Goodness. Would you do anything like, uh, this has been mooted, the idea that um, while Australia and New Zealand are not going to be open for general tourism, well, quite possibly until 2022, there is some talk that you might be able to fly into either country and go into quarantine and almost kind of military basis, actually staying in a military camp in uh, Darwin Northern Territory, whereupon after two weeks, you are free to go in a place where almost certainly there will be very, very few uh, restrictions and spend weeks and weeks exploring this wonderful country with uh, effectively almost no other tourists. Um, does that have any appeal or do you, uh, do you know, uh, would that possible reward not uh, not not make the um experience worthwhile even even then um i think it, it that i mean that sounds amazing um my reticence would be more to do with the fact that i still feel quite committed because um i so at the beginning of this year i said i wasn't going to fly for 2020 um and that turned out to be remarkably easy because most of us weren't flying anywhere um, I now feel sort of duty bound to do it for 2021 as well. Um, and so I know I'm just a glutton for punishment. Um, and so that would be kind of breaking my my own rule. But otherwise, I, think, I do think in that case, it probably would be worth it because that sounds fantastic. Helen, I applaud you, uh, first of all, for your uh, no-flight policy, but also for having stuck with the rules of quarantining and uh, I suppose we could put in brackets and self-isolation here because I think that the percentages of people who actually take this seriously is a, is along the lines of 18% which is obviously absolutely lamentable and of course prime well I'm going to call them offenders I suppose we've got to call them alleged offenders are um, uh, some of the uh, great and the good who have very good excuses for evading uh, quarantine for when you're caught bang to rights um, saying uh, it wasn't me gov and we've been collecting a few uh, during the run of the podcast and uh, um, there's a new one being added to it but first I'd just like to uh, do, do, what's your favourite one from the uh, the, the previous uh, evadee uh, Simon. Uh, well, it has to be Nigel Farage, um, who uh, very clearly was in breach of the rules. Um, he was reported. But, I mean, he he came back. He went to America to go to a Donald Trump election rally. Um, he came back. Uh, uh, and as far as we know, went to quarantine. But then after I think it was either 11 or 12 days, popped up in a pub um, and clearly was breaking the quarantine rules. Um, Sir Ed Davey, uh, leader of the Lib Dems, reported him to the police. It was clear that he was. Uh, 
Nigel Farage tweeted, um, I've been back 14 days, which was a downright lie. And um, by the way, I've had a test, neither of which is relevant. I mean, the first one isn't relevant because it wasn't true. The second one isn't relevant because the government says there is no viable alternative, as Helen knows all too well, to 14 days of quarantine. (laughs) Well... I think my favourite one has been Dominic Cummings, who I think we can put into this bracket, um, not just because of the sheer ludicrous uh, effrontery of him saying he was testing out his eyesight to see whether he was fit to drive, um, but uh, the fact that it spawned all kinds of really terrible jokes um, uh, and cartoons, which were sent to me by my brother, who collects these things, um, one of which I remember was um, uh, a policeman uh, leaning in through the window of a of a parked car and a bleary looking bloke in it uh, and the policeman is asking uh, uh, have you been drinking sir uh, yes but i was just checking to see if i was too pissed to drive <laughs> yes oh dear sorry um, but my new favorite one is um, i was acting out of character um uh, Liz Ferrier, uh, still sort of uh, SNP uh, MP, although one doesn't know for oh, how much yeah. longer, which is then you claim that the reason that you broke the rules was that you had the disease, which um, has stopped you um, acting in a rational manner, which is clearly genius, isn't it? Wow. It is. Um, um, can I give you a little, little quarantine quiz? Yes, you can. Um, just to show you how weird the rules are. I've got a few questions here, some from listeners, um, some, some from my brain. Let me start you off. Tricky one. From a Welsh perspective, which is the odd one out? Paris, Paros and Poros. Um, uh, I d- well, I don't know. Any idea? Uh, any idea, Helen? Paris? I haven't got the faintest idea, which is embarrassing for me as a travel journalist. Paris, Paros and Poros. These are places that you would be quarantined if you went to. Is that what the question is? No, it's, 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 it's if you, if you lived in... The other in, way round. If you lived in Wales and you came back from them, one of them, is, one of them is distinct from the other ones. Paris, Paros, Poros. I don't even know where Poros is. I shouldn't tell you that, but... Ah. Is it another Greek island? It is. Oh. Uh, okay, it's Poros then. Yes. It is Poros. Correct answer. Um, yes. So Paris has been on the uh, must quarantine list for many, many uh, months. Um, Paros was oddly uh, suddenly put there by, along with its little twin, anti uh, Paros, by, by the government in Cardiff. Poros has never been on the quarantine list. Uh, another bit of a Welsh flavour here. Can you legally take a train from London, Euston to Holyhead and then the ferry to Dublin? Yes, no, or advised against, but not actually illegal. Oh, I'm going to go for advise, um, advise against, but not actually illegal. Or, oh gosh, <laughs> them in Wales. <laughs> because it's, London is tier two, yep. so you take, I, Wales don't want you to enter at all. But I, I'm unsure whether that is legally enforceable. You, you would, yeah, they, they do not seal the trains through Wales. So um, Helen is quite right. It, it would be. Uh, it, it, the answer is no, you cannot legally do that. Um, a, a bit of a niche question here. From which new town can you avoid quarantine when you go to Germany? Cumbernauld, Craigavon, Cumbran or Crawley? Can you see what I've done there? A new town from each of the four UK nations. 
I'm I'm going right. to go. Oh, sorry, sorry, Nick. I'm I'm like no, go on, Helen. No, go on. I'm going to guess Crawley, <laughs> and not just because I know it's close to your heart, Simon, but also I know where it is, <laughs> and it's not on Germany's list of uh, of, of high risk places. Ah, yeah, yep. Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Wales all high risk. Um, uh, much of England, but not Crawley or indeed Hemel Hempstead uh, yet. Uh, I know another new town that gets a free pass, and my hometown uh, business. Yeah, uh, so there we are. Um, okay, Adam in Hertfordshire wants to know: Can I fly from Heathrow (brackets tier two) to Berlin and not need a COVID test? Thanks in advance. I, I think. Um, uh, you you wouldn't need a COVID test to leave, but you might need one when I, you arrive. I'm going to disagree because, again, I'm going to say, so our tiers don't connect to what Germany defines mm-hmm. as high risk. So even though Heathrow is in tier two, it's it's southeast England um, and that's not on their high risk list, meaning you don't need a test. Helen, Helen, once again, you, you've, you've spent your time wisely in quarantine brushing up on these. Uh, and... Uh, uh, no, uh, uh, jo- Jody this week, uh, from she lives in Sheffield. She's got a booking from Cardiff Airport to go on holiday. Can she use it? I'm, re- I'm really confused about this one, you know. Oh, no. Uh, in fact, the answer is yes, oh. oddly. Oh. The only grounds in which you can go into... Oh, hang on. No, no, no. Sorry. Uh, uh, uh. Um, you, you're quite right. Sorry. I, uh, <laughs> you can, if you are in Tier 1 in the UK, go into Wales to go to Cardiff Airport to get on a flight. But, of course, you wouldn't be able to even to cross Offers Dyke uh, if you come from Sheffield or anywhere else in the high-risk area. So, so Mick, absolutely right, yes. Ah, look at that. I've got... I've got one right. Oh, that's that's um, I'm I'm um, really bucked by that. Um, I have a question for both of you, which is uh, you maybe can't answer, but it's just a sort of thought that is Germany, which we generally accept is uh, ahead of the game when it comes to <laughs> dealing with COVID. Have they got more information about um, the prevalence of COVID in different parts of uh, of uh, our and our nations than uh, we do ourselves, so they're able to say um, uh, Crawley very low incidence, whereas Streatham, uh, 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 no, you certainly can't. Or is that um, fanciful? It's um, they have access to all the, and it, there is a huge amount of um, data available on uh, a whole range of um, government websites for England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, which will tell you what the rates are in Crawley, in Streatham, in Hemel Hempstead and pretty much anywhere else. And they clearly have a look at that. What the UK government has always done until I think August was say, we cannot make any differentiation. A country is either um, too dangerous or not too dangerous. We can't uh, break it down. But they've now started doing that in a small way. So but given that Germany, yeah, the rates are increasing, but it's still about, I think, a quarter of what the rates are in the UK. That They seem to have the right idea, not least because they're bordered by, Helen, you're going to have to hurry me. I'm going to say seven countries, maybe eight, um, and with very porous borders, but they seem to be keeping things under control. Thanks very much for clarifying that for me, uh, Simon. And uh, to end with, can I just ask both of you as travel journalists what you uh, think about the kind of uh, slightly um, complicated, uh, maybe even piecemeal quarantine that we have introduced in this country? And it's uh, 
um, efficiency when you look at uh, quarantine restrictions in other countries uh, and indeed even those in um, uh, medieval Ragusa, which we mentioned earlier? Well, I, I personally, I think the sort of blanket approach we've taken, um, while I can see why you do that at the beginning when you didn't have too much informational data, now to me seems nonsensical um, and compared to other places I mean we just haven't introduced any nuance to it in terms of okay well we can accept that regions have really different rates um, in our country in other countries so maybe looking more at targeted regions but also looking at more sophisticated ways of bringing down quarantine with testing because uh, the government's been very like well there's no alternative to 14 days that's it Whereas you look at somewhere like Jersey, they've taken a much more sophisticated approach where they actually did implement a traffic light system, um, depending on where you're coming from and what the risks are. And there are different rules depending on um, that risk level. So if you come from somewhere low risk, you'll get a test when you arrive for free. Uh, if it comes back negative, you then don't have to quarantine, but you get tested again after five days just to make sure you're still negative. Um, and so it really cuts down the need for everyone to stay indoors. So that's my thought on it. We just need to get far more sophisticated and nuanced. Can I ask, Helen, how much you would have paid at, say, day seven in order to take a test in order to get out? <laughs> um, <laughs> I am a bit tight, but even so, I probably would have paid 100 quid. <laughs> OK, all right. Good, good to know your price. Thank you. Um, um, all, all I'd say, and this is, uh, we've also got a question here from Andrew. Can you give me an explanation why Egypt is not open to UK tourists? No, I can't. Um, the, the blanket uh, decisions that the government has taken, as Helen referred to, include the fact that the entire continent of Africa is too dangerous because of its high COVID-19 rates, which, for example, in Rwanda are one five hundredth of what they are in the UK. And sure, you can say, well, I'm not sure about the quality of the data there, etc. But for something to be 500 times worse in the UK, and yet you're told you can't go there, um, it strikes me as utterly preposterous. I mean, the, the things, things cannot carry on like this, how they will turn out, whether it does actually turn into a proper quarantine policy or, or simply unravel um, amidst the whole Brexit chaos. Um, uh, who who knows? But um, Helen, you've been so kind to share your experience of self-isolation. Is there, I wonder, one top tip that you would give people who, the many thousands of people who are having to go through quarantine about um, getting through this uh, this ordeal? I think just, uh, just be very kind to yourself. Um, don't expect yourself to be productive and chipper and I, I think I expected myself to get loads of extra things done like I'll work on all these writing projects and actually I just felt really fed up and sad so <laughs> don't ask too much of yourself eat and drink whatever you want you know just just let it go and and do whatever you need to do to get through basically sounds a bit like life in 2020 thank you so much Helen <laughs> yes um, next week uh, on You Should Have Been There, we'll be talking about 
weird drinks and dishes, um, which may well include, um, I dare say, medieval ragusa. Um, I've already got that on my list and I'm looking forward to the recipe. And I think I am as well, Simon. Uh, Anyway, Helen, thanks so much and lovely to talk to you. Thanks, guys. And uh, until next week, from me, Mick Webb. And me, Simon Calder. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.